All right, we are in Exodus 33. We, let's see, as much as you can go off the rails, I think we covered that last couple of weeks, right? So Israel has sinned, Moses has thrown the tablets at somebody, he has ground the golden calf into powder and made them drink it. That's not a good day. And then just when he thought it couldn't get any worse, the Levites had to go through the camp and stab some people. This is definitely just not a good week if you're Israel. Which again, reminder, we go into this place so often and we lie to ourselves. And I've told you before, that's the most common occurrence in humanity is you lying to you, not someone else lying to you or you lying to someone else. If only I had gotten to see what Peter saw, if only I had gotten to see what the apostles saw, or if been on the trips with Paul or seen the thing the Israelites had seen. Always remember that Moses, while they're engaged in this idolatry, is up the mountain in the cloud. The glory of the Lord is shining, and the voice, and the th- I mean, he's right there. And their answer is, well, you know, we could, you know, make a idol or something so that we could bow down to it and engage in all sorts of debauchery and fun stuff. What could go wrong? <laughs> Humanity is irreparably broken apart from Christ. And the, one of the lessons we have to be given and remember is that it's not you. It's not the power of your will or the strength of your mind. It is the work of Christ and the empowering of the Holy Spirit that changes who you are and how you live, and nothing less than that. So, <clears throat> excuse me, got stuck trying to inhale and exhale at the same time. That doesn't work, not, not typically. So, with all of that said, if you're Israel and you're coming up, you can't come down off of this event with the golden calf. You can only go up from here, right? What now? Because that should be the question. Because if you're really being honest, if you were God in charge of the Levites, when they were going through and killing people, how many people would you have had them kill? I mean, if you were God for a minute, you would have you'd been like, wipe out that guy, that guy, that guy, that yeah, all those guys over there, and yeah. But that didn't happen. As a matter of fact, we made a big deal about how many died, but when you get down to it, It's really not that many people in the grand scheme of things. In other words, the vast majority of Israel is still here. They are stuck now because they have to figure out, in light of this horrendous sin, in light of the anger of Moses as justified as it is, how now do we live? And that's why the book of Exodus doesn't end to chapter 32, and we get to things like chapter 33. So, shall we dive in? All right. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought from the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your descendants I will give it. All right, we have some good news here. This is a reiteration of the promise, right? This goes all the way back to Genesis 12 with um, Abraham. Abraham was told to go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's a reiteration of the promise. Go up to the land that I swore to give to your forefathers. Do you see the problem, though? There's one little uh uh-oh in this verse. The Lord spoke to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt. Who brought the people up from the land of Egypt? God. God just went your children again on Moses. 
Like, you know how you've done this to your spouse? You would not believe what your kids did today. <laughs> You're not supposed to point at them. <laughs> Always remember, when we talk about the terrible things your spouse does, for your own health and longevity, don't point at them, don't elbow them, don't look, not even sideways. They will see it and they will know. <laughs> you have been warned. You are now responsible for your actions and yourself. But that's what's going on here. This is, this is a little tinge of an uh-oh. God has promised, but we're being warned that how are these people walking and living? Are these, li- are these people living like God's people? No. no. So I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. That too is good news, because if God doesn't drive these people out, who will? I mean... God can't kill tall people, apparently, remember? The Israelites don't trust God to do it. If the Israelites don't trust God to do it, do you think they trust themselves to do it? No. This is part of the lesson. Again, you want to understand the prophetic ministry in the Old Testament. Understand the work of Exodus, Isaiah 45. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. In other words, outside of God, what power is there in the universe? None. So if Israel is going to accomplish these purposes, who's going to work? God is going to have to work because Israel can't accomplish these promises. God must. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst because you are an obstinate people and I might destroy you on the way. (laughs) I don't think there's a might at this point, do you? I mean, can we all agree that Israel is an obstinate people? Yes. Can we kind of agree that humanity is an obstinate people? Can we also agree, though, that in God's holiness is dwelling amongst this broken and sinful people is going to lead to their destruction? I mean, Habakkuk, your eyes are too pure to approve evil. You cannot look on wickedness with favor. We know this. This is, again, why the cry of the Christian and the believer is so important. Psalm 51, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you make known to me wisdom. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. In other words, I am... As Popeye said, I am what I am. (laughs) You thought it, I just said it, so you're welcome. (laughs) What can I do about it? In and of myself, absolutely nothing. This is why I always remind you of the things that we say. Like, if I had seen this or if I had done that, you'd have been just as bad off as they are. Because this is the story of humanity. This is what we do. This is how we mess things up. Why? Because we like messing things up? I mean, do we like our sin? No. No. I mean, dear, this is one I always, I always pick on. How many addicts love their addiction? I mean, seriously. How many people are like, you know, I just love shooting up heroin like three times a day. It's just awesome. Makes my day. 
Or I, j- I just love that I can't pass one of those gambling machines without putting half my money into it. I just love the fact that I blow through my whole paycheck every week. I love it. No, we're miserable. Why? Because we know this is not how my life should be. We know this is not what I want to be doing. But in my own power, I am now helpless to do anything less. That's why the call is what? You wash me. You clean me. You turn away from my sin because I can't. You can. This is part of the lesson about the holiness of God. The promises have been given. Israel is going into the promised land. The land will be given to the nation and God will accomplish this. Is that a cause for celebration right now? No, not right now, because what are they in the midst of? Their sin. And while there's a comfort that God will never leave his people, there's a reminder that he is holy. You right now are not, which should spur the person who loves him to do what? Wallow in your sin? Woe is me. I'm going to do better next time. No, I'm not. Call out to him. Lord, I need you to save me. I need you to cleanse me because you know what? I can dig my heels in and say I'm going to do better the next time and you know where we're all going to be exactly the next time. If you don't believe me, how's your diet? <laughs> How many times have you said it? I'm not going to eat this. How simple is that? Like, how many times have I had this conversation? You know what? We can't eat it if I don't go buy it. And then a month later, what are you doing? Like, how did these Oreo cookies get here? I don't know. Somebody went to the store and paid money for them and brought them home and opened them up and then ate every last one of them. (laughs) That's what somebody did. I don't know who that somebody was, but somebody did it. Yeah. And the whole time you were at the store, you said what? I really don't need these cookies. But you know what? I'm going to take them home and I'm going to put them on the top shelf and I'm going to grab one. And <laughs> You turned into Cookie Monster, didn't you? You know you did it. It's okay. <laughs> what, it's, it's whatever it is because, again, how much power do you have? None. How much power does God have? Where should our rest and our anchor and our foundation be? In him and in him alone. Now, that's also why you get the warnings that you get in Scripture, things like Hebrews 10. If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. So let's use our, let's use our Oreo analogy again, just because I'm having fun with this. It's, it's Halloween. It, you know, it's, it's October, Halloween's coming, you're all, y'all got candy in the brain. Allow me to help with your cravings. <laughs> when we read something like that in Hebrews, you're like, well, you know, but I've trusted in Christ and I've walked away and I found myself in sin. Does that mean I can't be saved anymore? That's not what Hebrews is getting on about. Understand the, under, the definition of the word willfully. So we joke that you went to the store and you know you don't need the cookies, but you did what? You bought the cookies. And you lied to yourself because I'm going to put them on the top shelf and I'm only going to have one or two and they're going to last like weeks at this rate. And then you sat down and you got a couple of cookies out and you were watching something on TV and then you went, you know, those were good. I can have a couple more. So you grabbed a couple more cookies and then you walked around and you did something. Well, you know, I was busy today and I did a lot of walking and moving. So you know what that means I can do. I can have another cookie. And then you look down and realize what happened. 
Yeah, you, you realize you ate half the package, and you're going, okay, does that make you a bad person? No, you ate all the cookies. Okay, big deal. Are you happy with yourself right now? No, because you know what? I need to eat all those cookies, and I need to have better self-control with that. I, sh- I can control what I spend my money on and what I put in my mouth. Christian, that's what happens to the believer in sin, is you found yourself wandering away, not paying attention, and all of a sudden you looked up and went, <gasps> and I don't love it. When Hebrews talks about the person who willfully sins, that's the person who goes, no, I don't need the pack of Oreos, and you know what? I don't care. And yes, I have high blood pressure, and yes, I need to lose 40 pounds, and no, I don't care. And I ate the whole pack, and do you know who feels bad about it? Not me. That's the difference between falling into sin, finding yourself in sin, and willfully walking into it. Now, just to make sure we clarify, I did not tell you Oreo cookies were sinful, okay? We're picking on the Oreos, but that's not, Oreos don't equal sin. It's an analogy, people. Or should I leave that there? Will that help you the next time you're in the grocery store? Pastor told me these were the evil cookies. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Again, don't pick on your spouse. That's not nice. This is the... (laughs) I I am not Jenny Craig. I am not here for that. (laughs) This is the difference, though. What Israel has found themselves in is Israel hasn't just wandered into the Oreo cookie bin and had a couple and then realized ate the whole package. They wandered into everything, not some of it, all of it. And this is the warning from God is that you can't cleanse you. You can't do better. But if you trust in God, if you cry out to him, he will be gracious and he will cover your sin and he will strengthen you to walk anew. But that doesn't mean you use that as an excuse. Well, it's not, you know, God's blood will cover it, so it's okay, I can do whatever. That's not how any of this is supposed to work. It's supposed to be a strengthening and empowering based upon the work of God through his spirit, based on the work of Christ, because this is how he has operated. You see that with Israel. Again, throughout Israel's history, when they lean into God, when they trust in him, what happens? Success. When they don't, what happens? Failure. That's the difference between willful sin and finding yourself in sin. That's the difference between walking walking in sanctification, growing in holiness, and recognizing that you are not good, and just wandering off as the pagan does. Again, we're not better. We just have the power source to strengthen our walk. Remember that as we go through all this. So when the people heard this sad word, they went into mourning, and none of them put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the sons of Israel, you are an obstinate people. Should I go up in your midst for one moment, I would destroy you. Now therefore, put off your ornaments from you that I may know what I shall do with you. Ow. I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't want God to ever say that to me. <laughs> so here's the question. Why did God say this to them? Other than the fact that it's true. Like, get past that. Is it true? Yes. So why command this? What does this show you? What does this teach you? Some of the questions you should ask as you read your narratives. What is God explaining to the people? And the answer should be a common refrain in your Old Testament, especially. Carrying over into your New Testament. Always remember the drumbeat of your Bible. If anybody ever comes to you and says... Well, there was the way you were saved in the Old Testament, and then there's the way you were saved in the New Testament. Run. Screaming from the room. It'll draw a crowd, and maybe people will follow you, and they'll get away too. You know, you always try to save as many as you can, right? 
Why? Because there aren't two salvations. There is simply salvation. That's why I keep going to pains to point out Israel's problem is not a salvation problem. It's a sanctification problem. God has delivered them from Egypt. What do they want? They want to go back. God has given them freedom. What do they want? They want slavery. God has given them the good, clear instruction. What do they want? They want the things of the world. They want the muddy, the muck, and the mire, and all the things that do not satisfy and cannot satisfy. They are a little picture of humanity in what we do. Now, the reminder of your Bible is that when you are confronted with these realities, you have been given a choice. Deuteronomy 30, think Moses learned a lesson? I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. In other words, Moses recounts all that God has commanded and basically said what? I have given you a choice. Please, as the Knight Templar said to Indiana Jones, choose wisely. It's the reminder. Joshua, before Joshua dies, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. You guys know the next part, right? What does Joshua tell them? As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Fast forward a little farther to Elijah, 1 Kings 18. Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. So you got Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Fast forward to what Jesus tells you, Matthew 12. Whoever does the will of my Father in, his, in heaven, he is my brother, my sister, my mother. What are we getting on about? Do better, right? If you read your Bible completely wrong, then the answer to that question would be yes. This is not about do better. This is about walk better. Based on whose power? God's and God's alone. You can't. The refrain of human history is when you set your mind to it, what shall happen? <laughs> Death, destruction. I said it last week. There is a way which seems right to a man, and in the end, that way leads to death. No, we do what? What's the cry of David? David is found in his sin. What is it? You wash me. You turn away from my sin. You blot out my iniquity. Because guess what I can't do? I can scrub, and I can scrub, and I can scrub, and you know what I'm still going to be? Broken. I'm never going to get there. I'm never going to get there. But you can get me there. You can cleanse. You can empower. You can free me. Short of that, it is always going to be brokenness. That's again why, Old Testament to New Testament, you trust in God for salvation. You turn from your sins and cry out to him, and he strengthens you to follow after what he has called. Not because you're good, but because he is good. Not because you will get it right, but because he will get it right. And again, will you nail it then for the rest of your life? I'm a Christian now. Nothing bad will ever happen to me. Woo! If that happens to you, someone deserves to like get the two by four out and be like, got 
because you need to learn. You've all met that person, the, the, the old baseball line, someone who was born on third, but they think they hit a triple. Like, you hate that person, right? Because they've never experienced actual life. And you tell yourself what? At some point, life's going to kick them in the teeth, and that's not going to be pretty. Christian, in Christ, someone's always going to kick you in the teeth. You are going to find your sin. Because you know what? You're eventually going you're gonna to work on these, and eventually you're going to move on down the road. And you know what you're going to find out? That there was stuff you didn't even consider. You hadn't even contemplated. Welcome to growth. This is the Holy Spirit saying, good, now it's the time to deal with that problem. Now it's the time to overcome this. Now it's the time to apply that truth you applied over there. It's time to apply it over here. That's how sanctification works. That's how he empowers his people to walk. That's how he carries them forward. If he is doing that, you are going to be confronting sin all the time. You're going to be noticing sin constantly because you want to, because you want to do what to it? Yes. Completely to the ground. I don't want it to be around. So every time I see just a little hint of it, I'm going to do what? I mean, you, you ever been around people who are obsessive compulsive? Have some fun and just spill something on them. <laughs> don't do that. That makes you a terrible person. You already knew I was a terrible person. That's why I giggled. Like one of my favorite things to do in life. You ready? You want to, you want to know how terrible it is to have to live with me? You ready? Here's, here's, your, here's your example. Is I will come home and Cameron will have all the dishes completely washed and the whole kitchen cleaned up and put away. And my favorite thing in the world to do is be the first person to put one dish in the bin. Because she can hear it from like eight miles away. So like I'll make a sandwich and I'll have to use one knife to like spread mustard and I can just drop it in the bin. And she's like, did you just make a dish? I did. There's one dirty dish in the bin now, just one. She's like, do you have any idea how long it took me to get all that cleaned up today? Uh-huh. Now there is one. She's, she's not looking because she knows she wants to throw something at me. <laughs> she's nodding at me now. <laughs> oh, I'll rinse it, but I still put it in the bin to be washed. It must be done. <laughs> Just the one dish. Now, why is that an issue, though? Because everything else was, it was clean. It was perfect. And that one little butter knife ruins the whole thing. Christian, this is how your sanctification walks. Walk works. Is as God empowers, you are walking in holiness, walking in righteousness, applying biblical truth, praying to God, trusting in Him. And then all of a sudden it's like, what is that? And why does it jump out at you? Because nothing else in your life is broken and dirty like that. So when you see it, it's just... See, worry for the people that aren't noticing the problems and sins of the world. Because what aren't they doing? They're not paying attention. They're not walking. They're not noticing. Now, once again, my point is, does that make sin, does that make that sin disqualifying? Of course not. Because now you know what you get to kill. You know what you get to work on. Why? Because God is empowered, God has, God has preserved, and God has carried you up until this point. It is the same here with Israel. This is a test. Put away your stuff. Recognize what about you? That you can't do this and that you need God. So the sons of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Dun, da, da, da. Because they failed. Because they are not good at this, and God is demonstrating that to them. Once again, why can you stand? As I mentioned earlier, does this sound like anything? Humanity, given a choice. Humanity, going the wrong way. Humanity, therefore, being separated from God as a result of that choice. Where have you heard this story before? 
This is Adam and Eve, right? They used to walk with God, have communion with God. Sin comes into the picture and suddenly God casts them out of the garden. Israel, redeemed by God. Communion with God, right? Moses was just given instructions on how to build the tabernacle so that God can live where? In the camp, in the midst of his people. But now because of their sin, God is telling them what? No. Adam was your representative before God. How do you do? Aaron, as the priest of God's people, is your representative before God. How do you do? Like, you want Aaron bringing your cause before Christ? Hey, will you make us a, a God to go before us? Sure! Hand me some gold. Let's see what we got. <laughs> Let's get crazy. Let's have some fun. Everywhere that Adam has failed, everywhere that Aaron has failed, everywhere that Israel, Moses, David, Solomon, Elijah, everywhere that they have failed, Christ has succeeded. This is what the Bible means when it talks about Jesus being tempted in all ways as we are and yet without sin. Does that mean Jesus experienced every possible sin imaginable? No. But is there really anything new under the sun? No. And Christ was tempted with all of that, and he stood faithful. Therefore, we can stand. Not because I have that power, but because he does. And as I stand with him and as I trust in him, I am his. And he has granted me that strength and he has granted me that perseverance and he will carry me to the end. That's what the lesson going on here is, is where Israel, humanity fails, there is a better Israel. There is a better priest, a better sacrifice in his name is Christ. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. Everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it came about whenever Moses went out to the tent that all the people would arise and stand, each at the entrance of his tent, and gaze after Moses until he entered. All right, this is not the tabernacle. This is basically Moses' tent because God will not be in the midst of the camp now. So we've got to get set up for that. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship, each, each at the entrance of his tent. I would say that's probably a good plan, because I don't know what else you should do when God comes down and talks to Moses. Now, we get that we should worship, but did you? Did you gloss over, because sometimes we do this when we read our Old Testament, how big of a deal that is, that God would come down and talk to Moses? I mean, how often, like, does that happen to you on, like, random Thursdays? We go pitch a tent in the backyard, and we'll stand in it, and God's going to pop down, and we'll, you know, we'll play Parcheesi or something, and, you know, hang out and talk about life. That, that's not, like, how this goes. Even in your Bible, how often does God show up to talk to people? I mean, what, the garden, Abraham like three, four times, some random people in the Old Testament, you know, you see it for um, Hagar when she's off, but even then, is that, does the angel of the Lord come down or is that just the voice from heaven? So you got to pay attention when you read your Bible because sometimes it's the angel of the Lord and sometimes it's the voice. And even when it's the angel of the Lord, that's not the same thing as the, the glory, the presence of God. It's veiled, it's hidden. As Christ, is, as Christ somewhat veils the glory so that we don't explode. This is a little lesson that Israel understood. It's a lesson that Scripture is trying to get across. Deuteronomy 34. 
Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, and the sons of Israel listened to him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. For all the signs and the wonders which the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and all his land, and for all the mighty power and for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. I mean, who has ever commanded the power of God the way Moses has up until this point? Who has ever stood with God and spoke with him like I speak with you now? Nobody. This is a big deal, and Israel treats it as such. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Think of uh, Joshua's work more as bodyguard in that instance. I mean, do you want anybody walking into that tent? No, this is a kind of a big deal, so we kind of protect it. Now, this is as close as anyone since Adam has been to really understanding God. I mean, let's be honest. Abraham sees God, and when he see, like when, when God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and he enters into the camp of Abraham with the two angels, Abraham recognizes that God has come into the camp. But does Abraham really understand and explain God? No. He sees, them, he sees him veiled. Where is God fully, as much as we can understand this, fully revealed and explained to humanity? John 1. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he whom I said, He who comes after me is a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. All of his fullness we have received in grace upon grace. For the law, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. This is why when Jesus is in the upper room and he tells them to follow him, you know the way that I'm going. And is it, is it Nathaniel? One of them. Read John 14, it'll do you good. Well, we don't know where you're going. How do we know how to get there? And Jesus tells them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He who... No man comes to the Father except by me. Thank you, I got my Bible verses messed up. Thank you, I needed that bail out. And they answer what? I think it is Nathaniel. Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus kind of has one of those, what do you mean show you the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Welcome to what Paul is explaining. Hebrews 1. Colossians 1, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, upholds all things by the word of his power. If you want to understand God, understand Christ. John understood the lesson. That's why John in 2 John can tell you, you want the Father, you must understand Jesus correctly. Get the wrong Jesus? You have no access to the Father because you misunderstand who God is and what he is doing. You want to understand the totality of God? See how he works amongst his people both now and then, because nothing has changed. It's the same work, the same redemption, the same salvation. A people seeing the power of God to save them, trusting in him, and then being changed by him and walking in his ways. <clears throat> if I asked you to describe that with a theological term, most of you would say, hey, that's Christian sanctification. That's Israel. Israel's failure is not that they didn't do better, Israel's failure is that they rejected the truth. 
they rejected the word. They knew what they were supposed to do, and they said, yeah, I kind of like it better over here. Christian, you can't do that. Because as you plow through the bag of Oreos, while they taste good, when you're done, how do you feel? Full and miserable. miserable. Why? Because it doesn't really satisfy, and it's not what I need. Because you know the truth, and the truth has made you free. Therefore, you recognize when something is broken, and you seek to fix it. That's what the Holy Spirit does in you. The world doesn't see it because the world doesn't have him. The way we proclaim that is not going, well, look, 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 I ate the Oreos once too. Now the answer is, there's a better way, and it starts with you acknowledging that this is broken, and that there's a better way to walk and a better power to plug into because you have no power. But God has all power, and he is faithful and just and righteous to forgive. And you already know that if he's not your God for forgiveness, he will be your God for judgment. You already know that. Everybody knows that. While there is time, call upon the name of the Lord that you may be saved. When? Now. Because you haven't been judged yet. You're still here. So there's still time. Trust in him. That's our message. Again, not my goodness, his goodness. Not my power, his power. Not my overcoming, his overcoming. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people. But you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. This is true. Does God know Moses? Yes. Why? Because who does God know? Everyone. This is your Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. So we get that. So Moses continues. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight... Let me know your ways that I may know you, so that I might find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. Is that an odd request in light of this? God, you know me. Please tell me your plan. What would have made more sense? You know me. I want to know you, Christian. How do you know God? I mean, let's ask this. Explain God. Have fun. (laughs) How do you explain God? You'll know, I mean, what are the terms we use? He's powerful. He's merciful. He's light. He's just. He's, I mean, notice these are not descriptors. They're descriptions of what? Not who he is, but what he is does because can you fathom god okay you finite being you have a definite beginning you don't remember it but it happened process something that doesn't begin and doesn't end that forms the great wonders that you looked at come up with speech i mean think about this for a second imagine imagine no one could talk and understand words and you came up with an idea for this. <laughs> Would you have ever come up with it? 
No, because it doesn't make any sense because your brain wouldn't have thought of it. God doesn't just come up with speech. He comes up with language and humor and sarcasm and poetry. I mean, think of Think about just one little genre of education, literature, and think of all that it entails. Now go to music. Now go to logic. Now go to math. And understand that there is a being that not only understands all of those things, he created them. Now understand that being. Have fun. Who else has a headache? (laughs) This is why we describe him by what he does, because that's something we can sort of wrap ourselves around. That's why this makes sense. You know me. I want to know you, so tell me what you're doing. Tell me what you're doing. Christian, this is where you have such an amazing advantage, because we're over here, all the way on this side of the book. Guess what all of this side of the book does? Guess who it clearly portrays and explains? The work of Christ. You want to understand God? Understand what? I want to see God. See Jesus. I want to know God. Know Jesus. I want to understand God. Understand Jesus. And we wrote four biographies and a bunch of letters and an explanation about his final work so that you would know him, so that you would know God, so that you would have no doubt. You would understand. You would see all. This is what I mentioned earlier, John 14. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. This is when people ask, how do I know? How do I know I'm walking and not just lying to myself all the time? Look at the works. Look at the works. Look back on your life and look at the works. Look, they may not be wonderful. They may not be great. It may be a series of, we made it over that hurdle, and we made it over that hurdle, and we made it over that hurdle. But look at them and rejoice. Because humanity doesn't clear hurdles. We don't. We just don't. We just invent more brutal ways to do the same stuff over and over again. (laughs) I mean, think about it. Think about it. We just invent the same, our different ways to make life miserable for everybody. I mean, wasn't the internet supposed to fix that, right? The internet was going to give us what? It was going to give us all this information and the free-flowing communication and all of these wonderful ideas that we could share. And this was, this was the, what we were sold on, right? We'll be able to email and telecommute and all of I me. Mean, think of all the things we're going to do. And, and while some of, that, some of that goes on. And it's wonderful that I can email people and get ideas, but let's be honest. Is the vast majority of the internet, is it really people sharing ideas for the building up or the betterment of humanity? Or is it just a way for me to insult someone I've never seen before? (laughs) If you don't believe that, go have fun and read comments of people's posts on Twitter. Yeah, Twitter and Facebook. It's like, post something and there's like 400 comments all calling you a moron. (laughs) Why? Because I can And we're not sharing grand ideas. I'm sending cat memes. Look, nothing against cat memes. They're hysterical. But at the same time, that's what we do. Because let's be honest. Do you want to go to work every day and work your butt off to the glory of God as much as you can? Do you really want to do that every day? You say you do, but when you go to work, what do you do? When's coffee? 
ooh, there's something going on over here. We find ways to do what? Not do those things. Yeah. I mean, my goodness, there is, there is a poster child for distraction. <laughs> if you've been in Sunday school class, you have seen it. You didn't have to laugh that loud. Oh, that was, that was brutal right there. Oh, that, that one hurt. I got to pull that knife out of my back now. <laughs> I joke. We have fun. It's okay. Exactly. Why do we do that, though? Because I don't want to live like that. I want to be distracted. So you give me this tool that allows me to share information and better humanity. Oh, look at this picture of a dude falling into a ditch. <laughs> because that's, that's what we do. It's what we do. Technology hasn't made us better. It's just given us more efficient ways to be the same sinners we've always been. I don't need a better world. I need a better me. And the only way I get a better me is by turning from my sin and trusting in Christ who makes me better. That's what's going on. So God said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. That's confirmation. That is confirmation. And I can prove it too. Long quote from Isaiah, but it's worth it. Because again, you want to understand your prophetic works of the Old Testament, understand what? God's work in the Exodus. I shall make mention of the loving kindness of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has granted them according to his, his compassion and according to the abundance of his loving kindness. For he said, surely they are my people, sons who will not deal falsely. So he became their savior. In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his mercy he redeemed them, and he lifted them and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled. They grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned himself to become their enemy. He fought against them. And then his people remembered the days of old, the days of Moses. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put his Holy Spirit in the midst of them? Who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses? Who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name? Who led them through the depths? Like the horse in the wilderness, they did not stumble. As the cattle which goes down to the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people to make yourself a glorious name. Is that revisionist history? You led them in the wilderness and they did not stumble. <laughs> Israel stumbled how often in the wilderness? And yet they made it to the land. Israel in the land stumbled how often? And they made it to a kingdom. And the kings stumbled quite often. And they made it year after year. Not because they were good. Not because they were accomplishing anything. But because he is good. And he is accomplishing all that he has promised. Because from their midst, a prophet like Moses. A king like David. But a prophet better than Moses. A king better than David. A sacrifice like that lamb, but a better sacrifice was going to come. And God was going to persevere and preserve that people until those promises were realized. And even then, he would use those promises and he would use that work to continue to preserve and persevere a people that would be his, that would be his possession, that would worship and glorify him, that he would cleanse. This is why we have no fear. This is why we do not worry. I'm not good, but God is good. And as I stand in him, I stand in his goodness. 
not in my power, but in his. Not by my will, but by his. Moses gets a confirmation of that here. How do I know God's going to do this? I will go with you, and I will give you rest. How many times have you said that? I just want to rest. I'm just going to close my eyes. How many sporting events have you missed the end of because you rested your eyes? (laughs) And then woke up and had to go check the score. Why? Because I was just tired. Welcome to humanity. You're tired physically because you're tired mentally because you're tired spiritually. But in God, there is rest because that is what he has promised his people. Then he said to him, this is Moses talking, if your presence does not go up with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? And the answer to that is, yes, yes. This, Christian, there it is right there. This is the cry of life. We want to go up to the land, but can we go to the land if God doesn't go with us? No. Well, God can't dwell amongst the people or else he'll destroy it. Then you know what you need to do? Figure out a way to cleanse this people. Because we can't go do this if you don't go with us. That should be your prayer every single morning. John 15. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Not you can do most things, you can do nothing. But, as Paul would tell you, how many things can he do in Christ's power? All things through Christ who strengthens me. You want power for this life? Plug into God. You want understanding for this world? Plug into his word. You want to be successful? Don't walk in your ways, walk in his. I can't walk in his ways, I've met me. I know, but his spirit can. Get rid of you and lean into him. This is why the continued call, constant. This is the woes against the Pharisees. Whose power were they walking in? Whose wisdom were they following? Theirs. Whose misunderstandings were they going on? Their own. They had a law. They had a commandment. And they took it and they twisted it and they warped it and they made it some grotesque thing and said, look, here it is. This is how we'll follow. May it never be. They meant well, but I don't care. It's either right or wrong. And there's no other way. Never, ever trust your own power. Think about Paul again. Use another one of Paul's examples. Paul's my favorite guy today. Sees the visions. Sees God. Sees all these things. So he gets what? He gets the messenger from Satan to torment him. Why? Because who's not will? Who's not bright? Paul isn't. Who's not wise? Paul isn't. In other words, let's chop you down 27 pegs so that you will recognize just how broken and weak you are because when you are weak then you are strong. Because when you are weak, whose power are you operating in? God's. And who has power and authority? God does. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken. For you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. And Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. 
Once again, did we just like take the dial and just ratchet it all the way up without even thinking? I mean, that escalated quickly, didn't it? I mean, God said yes, and Moses was like, ooh, let me ask for something else. How quickly does this escalate? Not quickly at all. Christian, that should be your mindset. Why? Hebrews 4. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, and yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do we go before God going, um, excuse me, um, don't destroy me. Oh, sorry. Missed that lightning bolt. Good. No. Okay. Um, I have a question. Um, if you don't mind, um, if, you, if you're not busy, do, would you, could you? Um, is that how we go before God? No. Now, do we kick the door to go, hey, I got some questions? No. no. Now, here's a good example of why not. Romans chapter 8. Brethren, we are under obligation. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again. But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. When my kids come to me and go, um, I have a question, um, if you're not busy, um, can you, you know what I'm saying next? Spit it out! I can't even tell you no because you haven't done what? You haven't told me anything. Spit it out. Why? Because if you have a question, you, child, beloved that I adore, what do I want? I want to hear it. And if it's dumb, I'll say what? (laughs) That was dumb. Because I want to tell you the truth. Why? Because I love you and care about you. And the most loving thing I can do for you is to tell you what all the time? Tell you the truth. So you have a question, spit it out and let's go. Conversely, if my kids go, hey, you need to tell me something. Excuse me? (laughs) That's when you duck. (laughs) Because that's not how you talk to me. Christian, This is why you can find a simple middle way. We don't have to approach God in fear. I have no fear because in the sight of God, in Christ, I am blameless. I am clean. I am holy and righteous. Not because of me, because of Christ. And therefore, I can show up and I can speak and I will be heard because I am loved and cared for. Does that make me a jerk? Yes, if I have forgotten why I stand there. Because if I forget why I stand there and I go in there like I've earned something, you know where I can't go? Right there. I don't don't belong. I can't get in. My power doesn't get me there. So I don't have to worry about both sides of the ditch because you know who keeps me in line there? The Holy Spirit. He empowers me to know that I can go before God and he humbles me to know that I am not worthy in and of myself. Why? Because that's what he does. I don't have to fear the extremes because the Holy Spirit does this work for me. If I could fall into the extremes, you know what I don't have? The Holy Spirit to moderate and work within me. This is why that should be your cry. Because if it's for anything out of selfish gain, then God will get you and I don't have to worry about it. But if you are his, it is because what do you want more than anything in this world? God. I want to understand him. I want to know him. I want to know what he's doing. I want to know how I participate. I want to know how I get in line for everything. Therefore, show me what? Everything. And if that's a dumb question, he'll tell me what? 
That's a dumb question. You don't get to see everything, but you do get to see what? Here you go. And then we move on. So he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me and you shall stand there on the rock and it will come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Cool. In other words, the answer to Moses' question was, okay, okay. But does Moses get all of it? I want to see everything. Exactly. 1 Corinthians 13. We see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I will know fully, just as I also have been known fully. So now I see how? Mirror darkly. Do I get to see all of it? No. That's why I walk by faith and not by sight. Christian, where's the hole? No. Where's the hole? I want to know all of it. I want to understand God as much as my puny little mind can understand God. I want to experience his goodness. I want to experience his mercy, his grace, and his love. Where is that? If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. That's where we live. That's where we anchor ourselves. This is what Jesus talks about. Why do you call me Lord, but you don't do what I say? In other words, why do you say that I'm in charge, but you don't act like I'm in charge? Well, because what are we really saying then? You're not in charge. I mean, if I can say you're the boss, but I don't let you make any decisions, and I make all the decisions, and I do everything that I think is good, and I keep you out of the loop on everything, who's the boss? I am. So when I say, well, I follow God, except on like Tuesdays, Thursdays, and every other Wednesday when I'm in charge and I do what I want, and you know, even though I don't think this is the right thing to do, I do it anyway, and I've made this excuse and that excuse, who's really God? I am. So what's the, what's the cure? Christ, who is my life. Christ, who is my anchor. How do I ensure success in my walk? By walking in Christ-likeness, by turning from my sin, Trusting in his grace, in his mercy, in his love to forgive, and knowing that his spirit will empower me, and that I will drift, and I will ebb, and I will teeter, and I will totter, but he will not allow me to fall off because he loves me, because I am his. And therefore I can work, and my work will be successful, not because it's in my power, but because it's in his. Welcome to what the vast majority of Israel got wrong. Welcome to what the vast majority of humanity still gets wrong. Never forget what the two roads are. Where do we build broad roads to? I mean, do they have big, giant roads to Oregon? No. You basically get one. <laughs> How many ways are there to get to Chicago? Because <laughs> everybody wants to go, so we build all the roads there. That's why there's the broad road that leads to destruction and a narrow road that leads to life. 
You're not walking as the rest of the world walks because you're not the rest of the world, and that should be a comfort. This is the example we used in Sunday school this morning. I anchor myself here in Christ, and I watch them go everywhere else. And I proclaim to them that that's not the solid ground. Okay, never mind, he's gone too far. That's not the solid, okay, he went too far. That's not, oh, you're listening. That's not solid ground. This is solid ground. Well, how did you get over there? I know, I've always been here. You got over there. But there is a God. There is a Savior who will throw you a lifeline, who will bring you from over there and place you over here if you would but trust in him. That's the difference. That's the call. That's how this works. I'm not better. I'm just anchored. And that's how this is always supposed to be. That's what Israel is an example of getting wrong. That's what the prophets are calling them back to. The prophets aren't calling them back to a different salvation. They're calling them back to a true salvation. A change of heart wrought by God, which leads to a change in action because they love the true thing and not the lesser thing. Christian, Check your heart. Check your mind. Ensure your world, not by, I got this, I'm going to do better. I'm not eating the Oreos. No. The Oreos are delicious, and you're going to plow through them every time you open the bag. I mean, really, has sin ever been like, oh, look at me, I taste like cockroaches wrapped in arsenic. (laughs) Eat me, we're delicious and nasty. No. It's disguised as things you love, things you want, things that you think will please the body. Know the truth. Ground yourself in it, not because of what you know, but because of what God knows. Trust in his word, not yours. Trust in his precepts, not yours. And then recognize that it is his mercy and it is grace that covers you. And that even when I fall, he can pick me up. And even when I fail, he has succeeded. And it is not my power that upholds me, but his. Not because I am good, but because he is good. Let's pray.